There's the music, and we're underway. Episode 107 of the Cool Button Hockey Podcast. Craig, unfortunately, an outstanding game has a little, uh, well, I wouldn't say a little, has a big dark cloud and maybe another dark cloud. From your perspective in Eastern Canada, how did you see the two disallowed goals? We'll talk about the game and Thomas Millich and Bedard and everyone else in a moment. Well, what I would say is, is on the first uh, challenge, the Jackson Blake goal, I, I, I thought that was a, a good goal. I thought that, you know, Jackson is is corralling the puck, spinning around. And I thought it was a real bold move by Dennis Williams at that point in the game, because if he's wrong, it becomes a two minute penalty. And so, you know, I, I, I got I, I disagreed with it. I'll be I'll be straightforward with you. The second one. You know, I think that I can completely understand why the goal was disallowed. I didn't think that that was uh, a risky challenge by by Dennis Williams because, you know, e- even though McGrory is, is is trying to get his stick in on the puck, I mean, it, it still pushes Milich's pad back. And, and the puck is there. It's visible, but it's under his pad. Like it's and to me, you know, and, you know, you you want scoring plays. I don't want scoring plays. Uh, and and the attempted scoring to be taken away, but I, you know the way the rules written in that respect, I you know I think that you know as much as much as I would like to see the goal awarded, doesn't mean that the appropriate call wasn't made. I, I can I, I can disagree on, on on a on a on a philosophical level, but I can't disagree on on, on the way the rules written. So that's how I see it in in, in the two instances. You know, I think, but I think the first one was, 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 I thought that was a bold call by Dennis Williams because, uh, you know, I didn't see that. So, uh, uh, and you know, one thing I want to add to this, you know, they do this in the NHL playoffs and I don't know if they do it in international hockey, but they come in before the NHL playoffs and the series supervisor sits down with the managers and here's, here's what we're going to watch for. Here's what we want to be, make you aware of. And so, you know, if, 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 the IIHF came in and said, "Hey, listen, this is this is something with goaltender interference that we're watching for. You know, maybe it's a little less bold, and you know, you you can understand. But from my vantage point, I thought that it ended up turning out to be the right call for Team Canada, but still bold in my view. Yeah, and I think that, uh, and we saw during the craziness of an amazing game, and the kids are so good, uh, not just Canada and the U.S., but the, around the world, the Czechia and Slovakia and uh, the Swedes and everything else. I think for me, the second non-goal is almost a non-starter because it was a the whistle should have blown, the puck was covered, you know, pitchforking and not, you know, if you have a loose puck and you hit the puck, the goalie won't move. You'll pop the puck and it'll go in. And if the whistle isn't blown, if it's not continuous, which is a backup for the referees who should have blown the whistle, we can argue if continuous should exist or not. But to me, that's almost out the window. Um, and I'm surprised that some of our colleagues who, you know, were all over that play, I think sometimes just because you don't like one call, you don't make it up later. You know what? Next time a guy steals second, even though if he's out, we're going to call him safe because we're not so sure about what happened in the third inning. We, 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 we can't do that. In terms of the Jackson Blake play, I just want a play like that to count. I, I believe mm-hmm. that however a rule's written or however we interpret it and what you think is marginal or incidental, the fact that we have incidental inside or outside the crease, maybe because the IIHF rulebook has now copied the NHL rulebook. And let's just put this into perspective in an NHL game. Uh, Paige Thompson spins in front of uh, 
you name it, to Spencer Knight for the Sabres to get into the playoffs. And that play happens. And, you know, people who aren't Buffalo or Florida fans won't give a rat's ass about the play. We look at it and say, is that enough to disallow a goal? Do we want it disallowed? That's the bigger question. And I would say no. And you know where I am on goals and disallowing and everything else. I would say big picture, we overprotect the goalies in the crease. There has to be some type of battle. I'm not saying Corey Perry's standing in the crease. I can't move. He's bumped me three times. The puck goes in. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm saying now this is a case study. Case study link. And we look at it and we ask the managers, because if this rule is going to change at the IIHF, it's the managers that are going to have to change it in the NHL. That's how much power they have. And we show the play and we say, nah, nah. So by the letter of the law, I don't know. I've talked to 27 people in the last 24 hours. They say it's it's a dumb rule, actually. It's this thing about incidental inside the crease. We overprotect them there. The only part that works is incidental outside the crease when two people are battling for a loose puck and one's the goalie. Well, that's that's a great rule. I think we need to tweak. We need to tweak, you know. Dewey Meadow, we need to tweak it, Craig, to allow a goal. I, I think that's where I'm at, that a goal like that should count with that type of contact. I'm not talking about Eric Lindros backing in and body checking in or Martin St. Louis doing a shooter spinorama where he actually knocks the goalie out of position and scores. That's where I'm at with what I saw last night. I love your word, is it enough, or your phrase, is it enough? And, you know, we'd like to be able to just say, okay, it's clear cut or it's not, right? But is it enough? Is it enough to overturn it? And, you know, I I, I think that there's a way to, to do it. And, you know, I'm going to just, before I get to that, in those meetings, I can tell you what, managers are always show different tapes and everything. If you think there's a hundred percent consensus on that, <laughs> like <laughs> I could, you could put 32 managers in that room and I can guarantee you, uh, it, like it wouldn't surprise me if it's 2012 that it should count, or it's 2012 that it shouldn't count, or it's 1660, right? That it's split right down the. It wouldn't surprise me because depending on how you look at it, and I think that that's so. Here's a couple of here's a couple of ideas that I have, and I know Steve that you stop and you think about these, and then you you you, you try to take it and expand it. So, in the NHL rule book. Incidental contact, it's incidental contact between players is not called a penalty. The play, like, you know, it's not, not nothing happens, right? And interference in the NHL is called a penalty. So how can we have incidental contact now negate a goal? <laughs> and if it's goaltender interference, then give a two-minute penalty. <laughs> like, get right to it. And if you're going to get, and like, sorry, like, like sorry, like you know, like the the Jackson Blake play, you know, to me that's that, that's a scoring play. So if a goaltender ends up in trouble, like Thomas Millich did, and he he wasn't in trouble, <laughs> he was rarely in trouble in that game. I can only think of two instances, and that was one of them. But it it if he now makes the wrong move, and now Jackson Blake is turning around, and he is he's trying to come across, and and, and his head hits Jackson Blake's backside. How, how is that? It's like I got deked out and now I get the benefit of being fooled and, and the goal comes off the board. I don't like that. So either it's goaltender interference or incidental conduct, just part of the game. Sorry, we're moving on. 
<laughs> you know what? So how do we get to there? That's that, that's where I'm at. Well, for those who have watched the rule organically oh, wow. change from 91, I think the the tweak of no goal, no penalty faceoff outside, which I'll tell you right now, took the people three years to understand. Like there's a lot of people that think that they know that don't know. And I'm not just saying we know and nobody else does. It took a while for fans to get it, to understand what, what the rule was. That tweak, because it used to be a penalty or no penalty. So then what would happen is Jason Blake would get two for interference, no goal, and you double whammy the team. So what would happen in the NHL was, you know, and Jason Blake's play reminds me of like Jason Allison because they shoot right and the reach on that play. So think about that for a moment. We used to have a goal scored and it's like no goal, goalie interference, interference penalty, which now we've added as a way rougher standard. Like you have to, you have to, you know, what Alex Killorn did yesterday, you have to kind of, you know, push Staylock or push Vasilevsky or whatever into the net and get a real penalty, I guess. So that little tweak I think was brilliant. Because it made, you know what it did? It made the rule half pregnant. So when people say you can't be half pregnant, yes, you can. Because no goal, no penalty faced off outside is half pregnant. And it's actually brilliant. It's actually brilliant. Because if it's one or the other, you imagine now, no, that's actually no goal. And Jason Blake's getting two minutes for interference. And I think a lot of what happens in front of the net, you know, a lot's intentional. I'll use Corey Perry as an example. Gary Roberts was the best at tight roping. He would intentionally look at his feet so the referee could see I'm not in the crease. And he did a good job of kind of walking that fine line. And because the game's changed so much, we don't have a Thomas Holmstrom anymore, right? We don't have that kind of guy that does that as much anymore anyway. But before that we did, and it got ugly there, and there was cross-checking and blah, 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 blah. Some people love that. Some people don't. But I think overall, what we're not going to ever get away with a change in sports is the judgment of, is that a hook? or not is that a trip or not you know it's different is that in or not show me the picture is it offside or not show me the picture but what's marginal obviously the american fans and media think that that wasn't enough and the canadian fans i think a lot of them would think i don't think it's enough either um or it was enough he, he, he moved his head and he couldn't move freely in the, this thing about moving freely in the crease it's a you know what it is it's a Justin Bourne with a 500 passports move freely throughout the world whenever you want. I don't know for goalie all the time. So the uh, moving freely all the time and all this, you know, and I'm not saying body checks. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that to me was not, that's all I'm saying. That wasn't enough to disallow. And then people agree or disagree from there, Craig. There's your word enough. There, there, there's your word enough, right? Like, you know, and, and, you know, trying to look at it, listen, I like, I was, like, I, I completely disagreed with the call. Okay, fine, fair enough. The second one, again, like, uh, you know, I, you know, again, he's throwing, bottom line is, is I, I, I think upon reflection, the right call was made on the majority uh, disallowed goal, you know, and, and a little bit easier, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, you're looking at it and you're, and, you, and you, you see a guy that's really just trying to get the puck. doesn't matter. You're trying to get it. I think the right call was made upon reflection and, uh, you take it from there, but you know it's 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 interesting because you're right. You know the rule the the, the rules come in and you know for for every action there's a reaction 
And there's also unintended consequences of every of, of, of actions. And, and I think we see some of that, right? Like, you know, and again, like, you know, the goaltender, Steve, you, you recall this, remember, when the, like, so if a goaltender reaches out and makes contact trying to catch the puck, right? You know, goaltenders, you know, a lot of people think goaltenders aren't smart. Actually, they're brilliant <laughs> because they know how to work within the parameters. Oh, I could get a goaltender interference spot. Well, I got to try to reach out with my glove knowing I can't get it past that guy's body and they might call goaltender interference <laughs> you know so they're smart. The game, yeah so in the game and we don't know what would have happened if the goal counted all we know is the game changed from the first you know 10 minutes and you know the u.s was overwhelming canada like there were nerves like there was it was surprising but there were a lot of nerves and some plays and passes were you know from a canadian perspective clearly the game changed when Joshua Waugh took the face off with about eight minutes left in the first because I can't believe Dennis Williams waited that long to realize that Shane Wright, who was, wow, Shane Wright and Dylan Gunther last night, wow, um, they have a chance to for a bit of a reprieve, like right on the breakaway and then fanning and everything else. And then guys step up. Joshua Waugh was f- phenomenal, not just the four points. To me, it's the killing of the penalty. Like it's, and I don't know if you think he's in it. You see guy in the world juniors, people think, ah, he's going to be great. I don't know. All I know is this. You want players who have some skill and he does and some will like to me, killing the penalty. That was, you know, that was one of the highlights of watching the game. Like that's, that's, that's just hockey sense. And, 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 but anyway, he wins the draw that leads to Del Mastro to Bedard who scores. And then the game changed at that point, you know, that's TSN turning point one. Then obviously the Blake play, Fantilli's best game. Like, you know, you move aside certain players and then other guys step up. We learn a lot about these kids, right, Craig? From a scouting perspective, not one game. You said watch a guy 15 times. But does that change anything of what you think about Brant Clark or um, what we saw from Joshua Wall? Or do you say, Stevie, I already knew these things. It's the other people that are seeing it for the first time. Are you burying the lead here? I'll get You're to gonna... Thomas Millich in a moment. So well, get... I'm not waiting for Thomas Millich because okay. Thomas Millich was the first, second, third story. He was the turning point dozens of times in that game. Canada was dominated in that game for large stretches of it. What changed after 2-0 is the score changed. It was a great play off the faceoff. Bedard sneaks in behind. Without Thomas Millich's brilliance, without his brilliance, USA wins that game maybe 10-5. 10-5. They didn't have a couple of scoring chances. They had great scoring chances by their best players. That's what they had. Forget about the disallowed goals. That is one of the best goaltending performances I have seen by a Canadian goaltender ever. That includes Jimmy Wade in Moscow, 1988, in the gold medal game. That includes Manny Legacy against Sweden, in 1993, which was a very different for no, it wasn't a gold medal game in 1980. It was against the former Soviet Union. 93 under the old format, beating Sweden when they were dominated. Manny Legacy stands on his head. And then 1997, Mark Denis, where you weren't going to put a P past him in Switzerland. I can tell you this: Thomas Millich was unbelievably great last night. And without his brilliance, nothing else matters. Yes, you need timely goals. Yes, some other players stepped up. Thomas Millich stood alone there as the as the guy that that led Canada to the victory. He and he alone. 
don't know if anything's ever alone, uh, but the lead is. He was alone. He was left alone. That Canadian defense could not make a play out of their own zone. Time and time and time again, all they did was turn over the puck. And time and time again, he was called upon to stand on his head. You talk like if, if I can tell you this, Steve. You can see you can say it doesn't. I said there's other players that have to play. If he lets in some of those goals, it doesn't matter. They lose 10-5. He was brilliant and uh passed over in two drafts. Uh to me, the funny play was behind the net, off the stanchion, off the pad, out in front. Uh, it was his night. And then there was a shot later in the third that he kind of flubbed and landed on top of the net. Like to add to the drama of what happened back and forth. And you know what? It normally isn't the narrative. Like, I remember the Jimmy Wade game. I think the Jimmy Wade game is a favorite for me because it's in Europe. It was a different era. Uh, you know, it's not three power plays each, you know, keep thing. It was it was a different world, right? It was a different world. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a different game. So you're exchanging three on twos with the Russians and everyone else. And it's just like, and uh, to me, that one stands out maybe more so of the of the craziness of when the games were on early in the morning and you're like, Oh, what's going on over there. But you're right. And the goalie is part of the team. Usually the narrative isn't like this. Usually the narrative is Canada all over Switzerland and you know, everyone stands on their, or, or Canada's all over Mike Richter and he stands on his head. Well, Richter's on the team, right? Waits on the team. And so's Milich going into the tournament. He was supposed to be the two guy. It's funny how it happens organically. And I don't know if one game, cause people get caught up in the moment changes like i'm sure he'll get signed he'll at least play in the echl or the american league is he undersized for the nhl like do we look at it and say big picture still different stopping 19 year olds than it is stopping on average 27 year olds who all shoot at an nhl caliber craig so well yeah well you're right and so and so size is a factor with goaltenders that that that's a fact of the matter so it, 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 if if I'm talking about Thomas Millich and goaltenders of that stature, they got to keep proving it. And they got to continue proving it more than somebody else. Somebody else that's bigger might get a little bit more latitude. He's got to just keep proving it. So what I would say to Thomas Millich, wherever your next path takes you, wherever your next stop is along the along the path, just go there and continue to do it because that's what he's going to have to keep doing. So if he starts at the East Coast, they go and play well there. Keep going there. We've seen smaller goaltenders find their way to the NHL. But what I can tell you is this, Steve, and and this is unequivocal, unequivocal NHL teams are not betting on smaller goaltenders. Time now for KB on Ice, an inside look at the NHL, brought to you by our very good friends, Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook, 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. Craig, take us into the weekend. Take us into the weekend. Okay, I'm going four. I'm going four hard. So Thursday, Seattle's at the Maple Leafs. Seattle went into Edmonton and really played a real good game. This is a real test for the Seattle Kraken. Leafs at home. Friday, I'm going with the double. You got Tampa Bay and Winnipeg. Winnipeg is playing good hockey. I think they're under the radar. Winnipeg wins at home after the Lightning got whooped by the Minnesota Wild. And the Flames beat the Islanders at home on Friday evening as well. Saturday, Devils, Rangers. Have the Devils found their way? Have the Rangers found their way? I love the rivalry. Going Devils against the Rangers on Saturday. We have two picks the same. I've got the Devils Saturday. I've got the Flames Friday. And my trifecta includes Vegas over the Penguins. Maybe the Penguins are the team. That'll finish sixth in the Metro. And that's OOP 
you know me. Sports Interaction is Canada's Sportsbook. Log on to SIA.com. Cool button pod to sign up today. Tons going on in the sporting world. Canada's Sportsbook is Sports Interaction. 19 plus, please gamble responsibly. So Mr. Craig Button, big picture. Teams that are in trouble. And we know where they are in the NHL. If you look at the 04 standings, Washington, L.A., Chicago, Pittsburgh. Washington, L.A., Chicago, Pittsburgh. Huh. They were at the bottom of the wheel in 2004. And then, as the song says, the wheel turns. And in their case of bottoming out, they all ended up having success. In some cases, multiple success. In our sport, one player can't make a team, but one player, Mario, can really, really help. Where do you believe Connor Bedard, for Connor Bedard's sake, is in the best position of the losers? Last week, we talked about the wheel and how St. Louis or Vancouver could end up winning. But for Connor Bedard, among the losers right now, will he be in a Mario situation? Like, is it going to be a long, winding road to get to where Mario finally did? And it took, what, I guess seven years. Okay, so can I turn this question back on you? Sure. So, like, you mentioned those teams. Was L.A. relevant? No. Back then. Were the Washington Capitals relevant? No. No, Pittsburgh had really fallen on hard times, you know, like, and, and, you know, the old CBA, the old economic system, you know, was, was in a place. We always knew that Chicago was a, was a great hockey market, but the hockey was so bad that the fans said, we're not going there anymore. So, you know, we, we look now, we we have the benefit of hindsight to know that Washington, LA, (laughs) you know, what they, what they were able to do, Pittsburgh included, it's, it, it's massively impressive what they've done. If, if you look back to 05 and where those teams were all at, right? Three cups for the Blackhawks, three cups for the Penguins, two cups for the Kings, and one cup for the Washington Capitals. Huh, nine cups. That's not bad. Like, like sign me up for bottoming out. Sign me up for, I'm not going to say the word because I don't like it, but, uh, you know, sign me up. So here we are, Connor Bedard, right? Like, like, Here's what I'll say about Connor. I, I think he can change the fortunes of a franchise. You know, there was talk about Pittsburgh being leaving Pittsburgh and Washington being sold, right? Now you look at those markets, they're unbelievable. If if we said today, oh yeah, geez, the Washington Capitals, like you know, I'm surprised they're still in what Washington. They got a great crowd there, right? So I guess what I would ask you, here's my question to you. Where like is there a market out there? Philadelphia, Chicago are obvious. Is there a market out there where Connor Bedard could have a similar impact on it that we saw Ovechkin have on Washington? That we, I mean, Crosby, we know what Lemieux was, but they've fallen on hard times. Is there a market out there with those teams that are at the bottom? There, there's two. There's two. Because Columbus has never been relevant in Arizona other than Kachuk and Roanoke and, you know, that stupid building they put him in in 97 then the stench of the move from the Jets just feels like the Quebec move hurts, I guess, because Colorado was more lovable and they had the French connection, right? Uh, with your buddy Pierre Lacroix and Waugh and Keane. I, I don't know. It just that transition, maybe because they were good and it just figures 
Quebec moves and to Colorado and they win. And there's the Jets again. Right? There's the Jets in Arizona. And it just never works. We're always buying Calgary and Edmonton. We never ugly duckling here. We're always the ugly duckling and Arizona is. So it would be Arizona or Columbus, right? It would be those places that sometimes you look at certain sports and I don't know as much about the other sports because for 20 years, I've only only been in the hockey department. It's like, oh, are you the LA Clippers? Are you the Washington Generals? Are you the losers? Like Columbus, Arizona play Columbus. I don't even know if we're going to talk about it on our show anymore. It's January, Arizona. The only thing we're going to talk about is the last game of the year. And they both are starting a minor midget team because they want to lose. So that's probably the spot. Um, and the good spot for Bedard would be if it is Columbus and they say, Finally, we have a center. You know what I mean? Like, finally, we've got a center. Talk about the importance down the middle, right? They don't have one now. And teams that have won, right? Did the LA Kings have centermen? Did Chicago have centermen? Did your Dallas Stars have centermen? Did Detroit have centermen? Does Pittsburgh have... In 09, Pittsburgh went Crosby, Malkin, Stahl. You know what I mean? Centermen. And normally, the centermen are the best players. Normally, right? You might take a centerman who's so good and move them to the wing because you have other centermen. Like we see, say, on Team Canada at the best-on-best best level. But Bedard between Line A and Goodrow, even if they all don't play together, they just play on the power play, you move one of them off the line, now you got two lines. Then I have to just form a, a, a fourth line. Now I have to worry about Boone Jenner, say, on a checking line. Now I got a team. Like the Sedins, they're a line by themselves. Why Trent Clad ever left or Anson Carter? It's a line. I could have played on that line. A, a, a traffic cone could have played on that line. That's a line. So when you've got Naslin and Bertuzzi and Morrison, right? And then you got the Sedins, you got a team now. Surely you can manufacture a third line, you know? So that's, it helps in that slotting. Mario comes. Go look at who are on the 83, 84 Penguins. You know, Craig, that documentary, Michael Farber. It's so good. So now you've got, like, Bedard would be his own line. So you have a new line. That's what he would do. In Arizona, he, you tell me, he gets there next year. He is the first line center on Arizona. Here we go. Bring the kids out. And in three years, we have a new building. So to me, to answer your question, I'm glad that we brought this topic up because I think it's sexy. There's your answer. And then I get some people, Steve, is he really that good? Is he just like Alexi Lafreniere or whatever? Well, what about Jack Hughes? I said, well, he better be better than Jack Hughes. And Jack Hughes has played great hockey in his last hundred games in his first hundred games. He shouldn't have been in the NHL. And remember that's just the truth. And I think Connor Bedard will start better and faster than Jack and then project to be better than that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, look at how good Jack Eichel is. I don't know if Jack Eichel will ever score 50 goals or get hundred points and that's okay. Right. That's okay. Health and everything else. It's just Connor. We think is slated for greatness a little higher. Um, and then you're only as good as who you're surrounded by. Eventually, we had Legion of Doom for Lindros. Eventually, Pittsburgh had Stevens um, and everybody else and Francis and Ty, like, you know. So it'll take time. But I think those two places, Craig, to answer the question. And if I'm there, they probably need them more than any other team that'll be in the draft lottery, like in terms of relevancy. I, well, you, you, if you're not relevant, how do you become relevant, <laughs> right? Like, you know, like, again, Chicago can be relevant just by their history and everything. And, you know, uh, imagine this, Steve. Imagine this. Pittsburgh Penguins draft Malkin number two in 04. They get Crosby number one in 2005. 
They win the cup, drafted Jordan Stoll number two in 2006, and Jordan was a really good player. They could have had Jonathan Taze. Talk about <laughs> Jonathan Taze went three. What happens if the Pittsburgh Penguins take Jonathan Taze in that draft? Does Chicago get to where they wanted to go? There's one that we can always kick around down the road. It's fun, though. It's fun, Craig. Right? Could we say that Pittsburgh blew that pick? I don't think so. I don't think they made a mistake. Jordan Jordan was an excellent third-line center behind those two guys. But So I just mentioned, though, two, one, two. Those were the picks. And, oh, three centermen. Three centermen, you say. (laughs) That'll set you up big time. Yeah, and we go back on Arizona, obviously, retrospective analysis, but the Leafs were big on Marner. They had the four pick, McDavid one, Eichel two, Arizona sitting at three, and they went in a different direction, you know, with a good player who's having a great year this year, right? But wouldn't have been the guy, right? Wouldn't have been the guy if we did it all over again. And that's fine. That's just the way things work with the draft. And the draft is so easy on retrospective analysis. I don't do redrafts. I don't do redrafts. You know, that's like going back in life and saying, let's go look at all, you know, the roads and turns that you took. And 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 I don't believe in that. At the moment when somebody says, Alexander Dagg is the best player. What happens after that is drafting and, or sorry, development and everything else. And him, that's fine. Theo Fleury. Do you think people thought Theo Fleury would be this guy? No, he went later, undersized, different game. But Theo believed in himself. So I give those later picks credit for what they are able to do. And remember, we're judging at 18, not NFL 22, right, Craig? Not not 22 after. Imagine there was a league from 18 to 22. It was called the, you know, the semi-pro league. And then you went there and you went, oh, this Mike Johnson guy's pretty good. Oh, Theo Furry, let's bring him up from Salt Lake City. Uh, or what? That's easier. That's easier. In this case, I think a lot of it, a lot of it, you know, and the teams sometimes get criticized for bringing them in too early and everything else. I think a lot of it, the guy has to look themselves in a the mirror. You know, am I, am I, do I have the skill and the will? Everyone blames other people in our society. And I could name the second overall pick in 89. And, and you know, these guys at the end of the day, you know, I know it's not my fault. I got drafted there, but if I'm going to carve out a career of 750 games and be a relevant top nine or top whatever, it's on me, man. And if I don't do it, I'm not blaming society, the team, the coach. And and, and that's what I would say about, you know, scouting. And I know it's very hard. At one time, you hand the silver platter to a kid. This is your entry to the NHL. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Well, you're exactly right. And you know what? There is a... a you know, there's a, you never get to evaluate a player against the competition that he needs to excel at. So that's projection, right? You, you, you don't get to go and say, you know, player a, okay, good. We're, we're going to get him in some NHL games and test him against NHL competition. Steve, you know what? Like doctors go and intern <laughs> lawyers go and learn the, the, the different things. Right. And you get, okay, here's how they handle it. Here's where more development. And now you got a little bit more certainty. We take the best players from the levels below the NHL. And we just think because they've been the best players below that the law could be the best players. Well, if that was the case, that would go all the way up the ranks, right? From U12 to U14 to U16. And that isn't the case. And, you know, and so it becomes, uh, the, the, there's a lot that goes into it, including, as you said, the individual. And, you know, I'm, 
People say, oh, how did they draft him? I said, well, you know, he had 58 goals in his draft year. He he was one of the very best players in the entire planet. Like, you know, what would have you done not taking him? And I'm like you. I don't have to do a redraft because four or five years later, you just look at it. You know what the draft should look like, right? Like, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm redrafting the 2017 draft. Like, like, really? Kidding me? Like, it's like saying, hey, Steve, I am going to go pick the Powerball numbers from last draw. <laughs> That's <at> right. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm a billionaire. That's so, so true. <laughs> That's so true. You know, so at the end of the day, you're right about that. And, you know, you think about it. So I, I'll finish with Bedarda in this regard. You know, from the time he came into the Western Hockey League at 15 years of age, dominate. And every single moment since that time, he has dominated every single competition, the Western Hockey League, the U18, the World Junior, and he's done it. He, he he will only be 17 at the end of July of 20 or 18 at the end of July 2023. So at some point in time, you watch some player and you say, you know what? Like, we're not talking about holding his own, playing well, excelling. We're talking dominance, dominance, Steve, dominance. I said this at the World Junior, and it very well may apply to his junior career. The last person, I mean, like, and I'm talking junior now too, because I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from Sidney Crosby or Lemieux. The last guy I saw at the junior age do what this guy is doing was Wayne Gretzky in 1978. We know how, and there was a lot of questions around Wayne. Is he big enough? How well does he skate? His shot isn't that great. <laughs> okay, okay. And maybe that's the same thing that's happening with Bedard. All I know is this. The guy is a massive difference maker. Massive. Before we say goodbye to episode 107, uh, let's try to squeeze in two things here. Okay. Uh, final thoughts being one and the other. Who would you take at number two? And I think Dylan Gunther and Shane Wright, we better see them in the gold medal game. I, I think there's something... Obviously, that's there that at times has been there and then hasn't. And, you know, I watched the body language. There was a moment where Dylan looks behind him because he's missed a shift and started to go with guys. Kind of reminds me of like the Tanellis and the Tockets. You know, Tockett turned 87 game three around. It was Tockett that turned it around. Tanelli in the corner taking two Russians down with them. Mm -hmm. Like, though, like for people that are of our vintage, I don't have to get into 72 and, you know, who did special things there to help you know, Phil and, and Paul do their thing. But um, number two, if it was you, and my final thought is Wright and Gunther, they better do something in the gold medal game. They had some chances. I mean, Dylan Gunther had a had a breakaway. Shane Wright had a breakaway in the semifinal game. Dylan Gunther I've watched for a lot of years. And as tournaments have progressed, as seasons have progressed, as importance of games have progressed, so has he. And, you know, given a choice of having Dylan Gunther on my team or not having Dylan Gunther on my team, I want Dylan Gunther on my team. Shane Wright had some, has had some really good moments. And, you know, I, I, I we've heard about him being a really good two-way player. He, he really is. And, you know, he's precise and he's determined and, and he wants to make a difference everywhere on the ice. And that matters. That matters. And, you know, when you can go out and do those things and, you know, carry some play in other areas, it also frees up other players. Canada needed, you know, after they lost to Czechia in the first game, they needed to get better. 
that's exactly what they've done. And, and that's important. And I think that that's, and you, you want to win, that's what you got to do. And, you know, it's not about when you, Canada in 2020 got blown out by Russia, six, nothing in group play. And they came back in the gold medal game against that same Russian team. And on, on a great play by Akil Thomas, <laughs> win, win the gold medal. That's what, that's what tournament play is all about. So, you know what, I'll, I'll go to, I'll go to final thoughts. And my final thoughts go to the West Coast of Canada. It feels like the Vancouver Canucks are broken in so many ways. Uh, the spirit of the team, the coach separated himself from the players, you know, in, in his comments post-game after they lost to the Islanders. Uh, the team looking looking lost. I, I think the Vancouver Canucks have a lot of work to do looking inward. What do we have to do? And I, I'm not talking about Bruce and, and the play. I'm talking about Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin and Emily Castongay and Cammy Granado, the, the management group. They have a lot of work to do to evaluate what they need to do going forward. Because I'll tell you what, right now in Vancouver, it is ugly, ugly, ugly. And I'll just tag that with, the ugliness of the JT Miller situation with Colin Delia and handling the JT Miller situation. You're going to spend the money and lock somebody up. You better get it right when you've got a chance to trade and bring something back. And now you got Horvat in limbo with Miller signed. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's trouble with a capital V. You're right, Craig, in Vancouver. Episode Q107 for our rock and roll listeners is now in the books. Craig, enjoy the gold medal game. Keep up the great work. We'll get your analysis on TSN and the pod after it's all said and done. For Bruce Bolton, producer Craig Button, I'm Steve Coolies. Enjoy the gold medal game. Enjoy the NHL over the weekend. We're into the second half, and it's a great time of the year. See ya.